Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to the Preacher's Corner. I'm Pastor Jay, and today we're going to be diving into Revelation chapter number 10 and discovering that there are some things that we're never going to know about the mind of God nor the will of God as they are things sealed up by God as instructed to the Apostle John today not to write some of the things that he experienced or heard. So we're going to get into that as well as getting an opportunity to be able to see Jesus in a different light today. We'll thank the Lord for his blessings and what he brings to us. Father, we thank you, asking your blessing be upon us, that thy word would guide us, and that we may be able to see our Savior once more as this mighty angel, Lord, coming down from heaven, having one foot upon the sea and one foot upon the land, and proclaiming with his very loud voice, Time shall be no more. And thus we, we discovered the central point which we change over from the first three and a half years of suffering and tribulation to the latter half of the great tribulation as the Antichrist rises himself up to the throne in the temple to proclaim himself to be Messiah and and the devastations and, and the destructions that take place from this point being such of such vehemence in the anger of God that, that the saints are moved unto the sea of glass because they can no longer stand in the, the presence of the King of Kings in the throne room. So, just a very powerful time in Revelation, a very powerful position of Scripture, and we just ask that you will give us wisdom as we see these things in the blessed name of Jesus today. Amen. And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven. Verse number one of chapter 10 is referring to Jesus once more. We're going to take a look at the, the different points that we've already seen, say as in Revelation chapter number one, where we see that his feet are as a pillar of fire, that his face was as it were the sun, uh, that a rainbow was upon his head. And we see these things, a uh, rainbow upon his head in Revelation chapter 4 with the Lord seated upon the throne. Uh, and of course, Revelation chapter 1 with his face and with his feet. And he is recognized as, as another mighty angel coming down from heaven. And of course, clothed with a cloud. Throughout the scripture, we find that God shrouds himself with the clothing of the clouds, as he sits upon the mount and he's speaking with Moses, there is a great cloud that is lightnings and thunder. As we see him lead the children through the wilderness, by day he is that pillar of cloud, by night he is that pillar of fire. We understand oftentimes even to the point where uh, the apostle Paul was knocked off of his donkey there in Acts chapter number 9 as he shrouded in darkness and a, and a great cloud of thunderings and lightnings had surrounded him and his entourage that that he says, who are you, Lord? And, and within the midst of this cloud, he says, Jesus said, it is Jesus whom you persecute. So, very important to realize the connection that is made with who we are dealing with here as our Lord Jesus. Now we understand from verse number 2 that it was back in chapter number 5 that the Lamb of God was the one who was able to take the scroll from the hand of he who sat upon the throne. 
and it says in he had in his hand a, a little book open. Of course, that little book is recognized as the one with which he received from the hand of God in chapter 5. And in verse 2, it says, he, sit, he sets his right foot upon the sea and his left foot upon the earth. Now, there are several places in Scripture where it refers to the earth being the footstool of Jesus. And it, in fact, he will subdue all of his enemies until everything is under him, even death. Now, this is a situation that Jesus has already accomplished from, from his resurrection, and this being the last enemy that needed to be put down beneath his footstool, it's necessary that the times be fulfilled for the promises of God's covenant to come to pass, and Jesus is ready to f uh, finish that, as recognized here in chapter number 10. So, we understand that when he puts his foot on the on the sea and on the earth then this is the establishment of his rulership over this world as king of kings in verse 3 he cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars of course we understand that jesus is recognized as the lion of judah if you recall in chapter number six as john was weeping vehemently looking for anyone that that would be uh, capable or chapter five i should say uh, anyone capable of being able to take the scroll from the, from the mighty one who sits upon the throne, the angel, or rather not the angel, but the elder came to John and said, the Lion of Judah can take that scroll. Of course, John saw the Lamb of God, but he is recognized as the Lion of Judah that gathers his whelps together. And so it's that would be in Genesis chapter number 49. And the prophecies that would be spoken of Judah, the son, as concerning Israel in Jacob's prophecy. So, when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now, when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write. Now, this is one of those interesting places in Scripture where you discover that as much as you may be able to figure out through through your life concerning God, who He is, what His nature is, how how He desires to have a relationship with you, how He desires for us to serve Him, to to love Him, to walk with Him in, in righteousness and in holiness, and as as much as we can know about God, there's always going to be something that isn't going to be allowed for us to understand. It is going to be allowed for us to know. Now, this is a challenge because, as you consider, when these voices were uttering, and, and he was about to write in verse number four, he's about, in meaning he understands exactly what these seven thunders are saying. He's receiving what is being said. He's prepared to write what is being said, but then he is corrected. He said, I heard another voice from heaven saying to me, seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and do not write them. What a challenge that has been presented to the heart of, of John at this point, because as he was fully capable of understanding everything that was just said, as he has prepared himself to, to jot them down, that he may be able to transcribe the meaning of that which he has received from the seven thunders, he is now commanded not to write it. It didn't. the The voice did not tell him not to remember it. The voice did not tell him anything but not to write it. Now, 
in the position of John at this point, you have this knowledge, you have this information that has been uttered by these seven thunders that that certainly in these moments is unforgettable. Uh, John's got to carry the resemblance of what he'd heard. He's got to carry the, the notions that were spoken by these seven thunders for the rest of his existence on earth. But he's not able to transmit it. He's not able to, to convey that meaning to man. He has been told to seal up the things which they uttered. He, he cannot reveal them. But he holds them in his heart. How difficult it must have been. For certainly, even though he did not write them, that he would want to tell somebody, but he can't. They have to be sealed up within the heart of John so that it cannot be revealed. And so certainly to this day, uh, no man knoweth the things of the seven thunders. No man's going to know those things which be uttered by those voices. But John knew John was there, and as much as he would want to share those things which he had received from those seven thunders, he can't. He can't speak a word of it. Now, to a degree, this has happened to me and several others that I've spoken to before in the past, where, where the Lord has pinned our tongues that we could not say what we wanted to say, that we could not preach what we wanted to preach, where where what we wanted to impart upon a people would be too much for that people or too hard for that people to receive or understand at that moment. And so as much as we would want to cover that issue or cover that, that period or place in the Scripture, He wouldn't allow it. He, he, would, he wouldn't allow us to speak. And so this is the case with John as these seven thunders, as they spoke, that, that what was said was something so readily excitable to John that he, was, that he was itching at the bit to be able to write it down. But the Lord knows that, that we would certainly not be capable of understanding or applying or, or even grasping the, the point that is made by the seven thunders. So this is something sealed up. We're not allowed to know it. In verse number 5, it goes down, and it says, The angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth, lifted up his hand to heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever and ever, who created heaven, and the things that therein are, and the earth, and the things that therein are, and the sea, and the things that therein are, that there should be time no longer." This, this point that is being made here is that there will the delay is over. The period of, of hope for this earth to be able to repent, the period of, of the, the people of the earth to be able to look to God, to be able to, to turn from their wicked ways, that just as Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14 would say, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Well, recognizing in Ezekiel chapter number 18 and verse number 4 that all souls belong to God as recognizing that mankind as a whole was created in God's image after God's likeness for God's good pleasure as also spoken of in, in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 10 which we were created for His 
good pleasure is to understand that that the my people version would be rather Israel as God's people, rather the church as God's people, rather the 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 people of the earth that were not Israel during Israel's day, or the people of the earth that are today as being recognized as as God's desired people. When we consider the the position of the elect, it's it's whoever the the gospel's message has gone out to the lives that are that are being lived in that day for in that God is not willing that any should perish the word any is connected to the word all as he says that God is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance we recognize that God has chosen every soul God desires for all of mankind to recognize him as God, to to repent of their sins and turn from their wicked ways. But this is the issue. It is given unto us as the church to bring that message to the world. And so if the church is not going to do its job that it was commissioned to do, to bring the message of the gospel unto the whole world, then there's plenty of people out there who who could very well have received Christ, who aren't going to be able to hear the message to get saved. And if indeed they perish without Christ, they will face the judgment that they must face because they have, by by virtue of not accepting the gospel, they have rejected God, and so they must perish. But their blood will be upon our hands because we didn't go forth to do what we have been commanded to do in carrying the gospel into the whole world, that they might be saved. How can a person make a decision? How can a person make a choice that they don't have the information to be able to to make the choice? A people can only be what they are unless they discover that there's another way for them to be able to be. And if they never know any other way, then this is the life that they will follow because they don't know any other way. And our life is based on a series of choices that we make all the time. And those choices are based on the information that we've received from the environment around us. And if the gospel never comes to us, then our choice will never be for Jesus. And so this is a, a reality that is that is all through our lives, but a reality that is recognized in the scriptures when we consider this point that, that there is going to come a time when there's not going to be a delay any longer in the wrath of God and in, in, in the work of, of the Antichrist and all of these things that we discover in Revelation. There's coming a time where where this isn't going to be held back anymore. It's revealed in, in, in 2 Thessalonians in, in chapter 2, I believe, is that the Holy Spirit is in the world right now holding back the, the son of perdition. The, the Holy Spirit is in the world holding back the work of the spirit of Antichrist while it is time, but it is recognized there's coming a time, it's written in these this chapter, that that um, the Holy Spirit's going to be taken out of the way. It says when when he was holding all things back is taken out of the way, then you've got that that delay that is no longer. And, and the wickedness of the world could just come to its full power. It can come to its fullness of, of the head. And of course, that's when the wrath of God is going to become its fullest sense. And so we find that in the middle of these seven years, at this three and a half year transition point, where the Antichrist is going to rise up and he's going to assume power over the world 
combining his religious sect with his secular state, and, and he's going to proclaim himself Messiah is exactly about the same point of time that you find the true Messiah uh, standing upon the heaven and the earth and saying, we're done here. The delay of my father's wrath is no more. And at that, you can understand now the fifth seal of, of Revelation chapter number six, the martyred saints that you were introduced to there. He said, just come up here for a little time until all the rest of your brethren gather together up here, and then uh, will I exact my wrath on you. Well, you can understand at that point that, that the the power of God is about to pour out upon this earth in the vehemence of his wrath because now it is satisfied. The martyred saints have been gathered together. Now it is satisfied. Of the 144,000 are kept in the place of refuge that God has given to them. Now it is satisfied that the only thing that is left on this earth is those rejecting servants of Satan that, that refuse, as we saw in chapter 9 yesterday, that refuse to repent unto God, even though they recognize that it is by God's hand and authority that these things are happening to them, they refuse to repent. And so it is time, it is time. The delay for destruction is no more, it is time. Oh Lord, what is coming? He says in verse number seven, but in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished as he has declared to his servants, the prophets. Now, understanding that, that we had the first four angels sounding their trumpets in, in chapter number eight. We understand in those trumpets, which was the release of the seventh Seals. So we had the complete opening of the scroll with the seventh seal, which released the seven angels to go do their job at that span of about a half an hour that we recognized in chapter number eight. Now at the first angel, we remember that the, the trees, a third part of the trees and all of the grass was burned up. The second angel's proclamation, we had that great mountain strike, the saltwater systems, and a third of the oceanic systems, um, the water became blood, the creatures perished, and the ships were destroyed. At that point, the, the star that came down from heaven, and of course yesterday in chapter 9, we saw another star come down from heaven and open the bottomless pit. So we get the idea that there's a potential that this could easily be an angel that came down from heaven to strike the freshwater systems with wormwood, which is a, a poison, kind of like lilac and those things. It's a, it's a very poisonous plant uh, sumac that's what i was thinking of poison sumac uh, that that is capable of bittering the the freshwater systems and it said that many were going to die because of the bittering of the freshwater and and then of course with the fourth angel's proclamation a third part of the sun a third part of the moon a third part of the stars basically your your celestial bodies of of your solar system are darkened meaning that for months you're going to be in a pitch black state of, of night and for months you're going to be in a, in a continuous sunlight that you cannot escape and there will be much mania that comes from that. 
uh, situation, that's the fourth angel. Then, of course, that, that one angel proclaiming, whoa, 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 because if that wasn't bad enough, then you had the fifth angel's trumpet sounding, and that's the one that released my favorite critters to ravish the earth during the time of its total darkness or during the time of its total light. <laughs> And the fact that people are, are starving to death because of the third part of the, the trees and the grass, and they're not able to breathe well, and, and asthmatic symptoms will, will increase, and, and you name it. You want to talk about climate change, it's going to happen during that period of time without question and in a rapid pace. And, and so you've got our critters, but of course after the five months of those, then the sixth angel is going to sound off his trumpet and the Euphrates River is going to erupt with the two million chariots that are going to come out of it and uh, ride the, the globe killing a third part of the people with a merciless slaughter. And, and that was the sixth angel or the sixth trumpet sound and thus you come to this position that after those six trumpets have sounded that you see Jesus come and stand upon the earth and come and stand upon the sea and and with this scroll completely open in his hand making this proclamation before God who is one he who created all things and two he who liveth forever and ever uh, and, and his proclamation is, the delay is over, time shall be no longer. That means that the absolute wrath of God is prepared to, to pour out upon his enemies. And, and uh, there's, just, there's just nothing to be able to say about that. <laughs> it's just too powerful. It really is just too powerful. In verse number seven, he goes down and he says, But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he, sh when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished, as he has declared to his servants, the prophets. Now, uh, the mystery of God should be finished. We're dealing with the 70th week of, of Daniel. We're dealing with... The, the prophecies that would be, the multitude of prophecies, I should say, that would be revealed to Malachi, revealed to Zechariah, Zephaniah, that which was uh, spoken of by Haggai, the prophet, Amos, uh, the, the cry of, of Habakkuk, even, in, in the recognition of that which is uh, spoken of by, by Nehemiah, even. I mean, all of these different people, that, that we would find revealing Jesus and, and the mystery of those things which was never understood by, by the children of God even up to this very day is going to be fulfilled in that moment. It's going to be finished. And the 70th week is going to be put to rest at the end of the the wrath of God and, and those things. So uh, definitely Daniel has a, a leg up on this one. And the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel which stands upon the sea and upon the earth. Uh, this is going to be a tough thing for us to have to accept today. This is something that's given unto us to have to do in our modern day is take this book from the angel. Very important. Catch this point. He says, uh, take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. And, 
And I went unto the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. Now, this is interesting because you've got this scenario where you have itty-bitty little John and you have this mighty angel. You have this scenario where, where this angel is standing upon the, the earth and standing upon the sea and, and he has made this massive proclamation that time will no longer delay and that, that all things are recognized as being fulfilled at this point of, of the prophets that have been spoken and so that we understand that, that this is a moment that is given unto John, but this is also a moment that is given unto us this very day. We've got some pretty hefty decisions that we're going to have to make. Because once John receives this little book, as he takes, and he's going to receive the instructions from that mighty angel and what he's going to have to do with that book, the same thing that John is being told to do is the exact same thing that we have been instructed to do in our lives in this moment as we're gathered together here on the corner receiving this right now. The reality of this is, is that those prophecies that were spoken of that we see being fulfilled here as, as given us a foreknowledge of what God is planning to do and how God is planning to do it is being given to us by this book of Revelation so that we can go back under the multitude of prophecies that have been spoken, such as Daniel in chapter number 7 and realizing the, the beast of the earth, realizing the, the Antichrist and what he's going to be like, as well as understanding the, the, the times. Uh, Daniel chapter number 10, Daniel chapter number 12. We, we get the point that, that all of these prophecies that are revealed through Daniel and those prophecies that are made known in other places, such as Zechariah and such as, such as Malachi, these these are all fulfilled here through the book of Revelation. We see them come together. That's why the book of Revelation is not a mysterious book, as many people try to make it out, as though they, they think that it can't be understood, or as though they, they believe that this book is something that is too hard to be able to grasp because it's events that are of a future that we haven't seen yet, so we're just grasping for straws. The truth is, is that the book of Revelation has already been played out. We, we see every one of these events realized through the prophets, and that's exactly what this person said uh, about these things, that the mystery of God should be finished. It's no longer hidden. It's not a mystery anymore. If we connect those events that are happening in Revelation to the, the promises that have been foretold of its coming as concerning those things that, that are realized in the prophets, then we see the book of Revelation not as something of a mystery that, that, that cannot be understood, but we actually see the book of Revelation as the fulfillment of those prophecies that have been foretold and shown to us already by people in the Old Testament. And so that if we were a, a New Testament type of church that considered the Old Testament as not being applicable to us because we have this crazy notion that we're under grace and not the law, so we never look at those things of the Old Testament and only go from Matthew forward, we're never going to understand the book of Revelation because that book, this book we're studying, can only truly be understood by the prophecies that are from the old. Because all this book is, is a fulfillment, a realization of the fulfillment of everything God had promised to his people aside from, from the Savior who's 
already fulfilled all of the promises concerning his coming, concerning his life, concerning his death, and concerning his resurrection. So what we find in these works through through the prophet Daniel, through the prophet Isaiah, through the prophet Jeremiah, through the prophets of, of old, what we find in, in their works is that which could not be understood in the Old Testament is brought to the completion of its understanding here in the book of Revelation because he's made it known through John. Now, granted that there are some things that are not permitted to be written, there are some things that God will not allow to be known no matter the age. We're just going to have to discover them when we get to heaven. Hallelujah. That's his prerogative as being this this mighty one who sits upon the throne, who is eternal and who has created all things. That is his prerogative. But those things which he has made known, we cannot deny. We cannot, we cannot disannul. And hallelujah for his word revealing all truth unto our souls. Now, whether we receive it or not, that's a whole other matter. But he has revealed it. It says, And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again, and said, Go, take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel which standeth upon the scene upon the earth. Now, that little book I can only imagine as being bigger than John due to the fact that he that stands upon the heaven and the earth is mighty angel. Uh, I can... I just see this picture. So it is called a little book from one perspective, but can be seen as an awfully mighty book from another perspective. For instance, I have Bibles in, in my, my possession. Let me show you one. I've got my, my good old fa- favorite Bible here. And it's just a little fella. You can see I know that this one belongs to me because it's got my name on it. <laughs> and so... It's just a little bitty fella, but the reality of this Bible is that it has impacted so many people's lives throughout the times of visitation I've been able to go, and and this Bible's been opened so many times, and its truth's been shared with so many people. It doesn't seem to be a very big volume of a book, but it's done some big work. So the reality of that little itty-bitty book book is that it has done mighty, mighty works. And this is the way that this little book that is in the hand of this mighty angel is to John. And it comes down to verse number nine, and he says, I went unto the angel and said unto him, give me the little book. I mean, it's just that simple. Look, he said, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, of the Father that that you shall have it. Now, understanding the caveat behind that is is realized as those things that we're asking for be asked for in the will of God. Understanding that whole caveat there, but the reality is is that nothing is withheld the servant of God in the duty of the king, and so he goes and asks for the little book. And the mighty angel said to John, he said, "Take it." This is this is important for us to understand. First, take it. Okay? Second, eat it up. <laughs> now, it, it, it the word of God is more than just words on a page. The word of God is the very mind of God being imparted unto man. And the necessity of, of us to take the book to begin with is also of necessity for us to open the book of feast upon the things that are inside it. You see, if we, if we feast upon the Word of God, then we shall be satisfied. 
if we feast upon the word of God, then we shall be filled. But if we just glaze over the word of God and not pull that, that word from the page to be within us, consciously desiring to be fed by it, then it, it's like staring at all of the beautiful uh, pastries and all of the beautiful muffins and things inside of a coffee shop that would be behind the glass as we stare at them, but we don't take the the motion to to get them from behind the glass to eat them because we we don't feel like it one or we don't feel that we can afford it for another but it's the same thing with the word of god if we keep the word of god on the page and just read it from a distance it's like staring at those pastries with a desire to have them but without the the actual work to get them We've got to dig into the Word of God with a desire to receive from God every day that the blessing of manna that He has prepared for us just as be revealed in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Well, this is the case that is is with John as he has been commanded to take that scroll, but that that mighty angel in imparting that scroll to John as he asked for that book, it wasn't enough for him just to get the book. Everybody's got a Bible, and most Bibles are on a shelf collecting dust. It's not enough to have that book. You can have that book and think that it's going to do you great good just being closed or being under the coffee table or being somewhere in the house, even a, even a family Bible that's opened on a shrine with a, with a holder holding the Bible. You pass by it all of the time and look at it with a fondness of memory, but you've never read the things that are inside the book. What good is it going to do you? And so the angel says, take it and eat it up so that that book would no longer be on your shelf, but, but be in your heart, be in your stomach, be in, inside of you so that it is useful for, for the world around you. Take it and eat it up and it shall make your belly bitter. Well, it's not going to be a pleasantness to the belly, certainly, but in your mouth, it's sweet as honey. Now, to the mouth, as you begin to eat and feast upon this word, it's so good, right? When you come to Christ unto salvation, you realize what God had done through his son and his death on the cross. I mean, it's just so good. It gives you ability to shout hallelujah. It gives you ability to shout praise the Lord. That's so good. But when it sinks down into your belly of the reality of what the price was to be able to redeem you, when it, when it sinks down into reality, those things can get a little bitter as recognizing that, hey, you know what? The truth is we weren't worthy of Jesus' death. He was entirely too holy, entirely too pure, entirely too righteous altogether to, to die for someone like us who didn't deserve his righteousness, who doesn't deserve his holiness, who doesn't, de who doesn't have any, any deserving of his purity and of his love. I mean, we were a wretched creature altogether. We, we, wow. God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were still ungodly, Jesus would die for us. Now, Without knowing Christ, without knowing God in His Word, you didn't know that. It didn't even it didn't even bother you. You didn't even think about it. It didn't it didn't matter. You didn't have Him. And when you heard the gospel for your salvation, and you 
you trusted the Lord. You you received his gospel with gladness. You trusted in him and, and, and you came to faith in Christ. You were elated. You you were full of just can't be described, can it? You just loaded with Jesus and rejoicing all the more. But these realities do come to pass. These points do become pondered by your heart and the bitterness of the reality of what it cost God, what it cost Jesus to receive me. You know, it was tasty in the mouth, but it's bitter in the stomach. And the reality is that was what was promised of this little book that we were to eat up. Now, if we took the book but we never ate it, we would never find the truth of it. We would never find the reality of it. You see, we, we can take the book as, as concerning a, a, a idea of belief in Jesus. We can take the book, but if we never search the riches of its scripture, if we never, if we never trust in, in those things which are written inside of it and, and yet turn to our senses and yet turn to our feelings, turn to our our own thoughts about how this thing's supposed to work, then we'll never know. And the bitterness won't be in our belly from the Word of God, but but our lives will become a bitterness to God for not knowing His Word. Oh, that's kind of a challenge, isn't it? And so John said, I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up. Well, there's no question about that. As we're receiving the book of Revelation, if you've re- if you've read the letters of John and 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, if you've read the gospel of John, you know he ate that book up. Amen. He said, I ate it up. He said, it was in my mouth as sweet as honey, but as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. And he said to me, you must prophesy again before many people, nations, tongues, and kings. You must prophesy. For those who have eaten the book, they must prophesy. For those who have taken the book and haven't eaten it yet, you haven't obeyed the command of the Lord. You haven't obeyed Jesus. Just to have the book is of no use whatsoever unless one eats that book. A person could have a refrigerator full of food, but if they're not going to eat it, it's not going to be of any use to them. A person in the United States that starves to death starves to death because they have rejected the food that was possible for them to get, not because they couldn't get any food at all. And we're talking about the United States here. And the reality is, is that a person can have 15 or 20 Bibles all around them, but if they never open the book to feast upon the things that are therein, they will be a starved creature having never received of the Word of God. And so it is understood that, that you must prophesy. Once, once you have feasted upon the riches of God's Word, you must take those things which you have received from God and share them with others. You must Prophesy again before many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. This is what the Lord has decreed, and this is what he has given unto you and me. We must, not an option here, take the word of God you have, feast upon it daily, and share it with other people. This isn't a request of the Lord. This is the command of Christ. You must prophesy again. 
Father, we thank you for the blessing of this day and for the recognition of this mighty angel. We thank you, Lord, for for revealing these things to us that time shall no longer delay for all things have been fulfilled as revealed by this chapter. We pray that you will bless us as we we are introduced to the new temple and the, the two prophets of the Lord, the witnesses revealed in the next chapter and, and many of the things that transpire there. What a blessing it is to us to be able to be in the meat of this revelation. We thank you, Lord, for all things that you have done and for what you're doing and ask that blessing upon the weekend that, Father, we may rejoice in this Shabbat and that we may be able to gather together again uh, this coming Sunday for thy blessing of the word and also for the, the events of our future. We give you praise and thanks in the blessed name of Jesus. Amen. All right, guys, may God bless you, keep you, cause his face to shine upon you, and I shall catch you Sunday uh, on Martin Baptist Church. I'm going to be broadcasting from the Martin Baptist Church page, so definitely want to catch that. If you haven't uh, if you haven't liked and followed the Martin page yet, go ahead and, and, and catch up to that. That'll work out. And then we'll get back to chapter number 11 on Monday as we dive into the two witnesses and the rebuilding of the temple and all kinds of really cool stuff that's going to be found there. So, till then, take care.